Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicles Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Moira O'Neill and joining me in the studio today are my colleagues on the personal finance team, Leonora Walters and Kate Bealey. We're also delighted to have a special guest on the show, Alan Steele, the chairman of Alan Steele Asset Management, who will be talking to me later. But first, we're going to be talking about investing in India. The Indian stock market has done phenomenally well since the election of business-friendly Prime Minister Narendra Modi in May 2014. But can it keep going and is it too late to join the party? Personal finance writer Kate Bealey has been talking to India fund managers and other experts. Kate, why is everyone so excited about India at the moment? Well, there's been a lot of excitement from the market ever since the election of Modi, who is a very kind of pro-reform leader. And he won by a massive landslide in May. And it was a real moment in history for India because his party won more seats than any party since 1984. So it's created the first government in 30 years able to rule independently of other parties. So that's really pleased the market because it gives him enormous power to push through these reforms, which he's so keen on on making. Added to that, he has pledged to crack down on bureaucracy and and corruption and really smooth the way for business and enterprise in the country. Uh, His biggest project is the Make in India campaign, which is all about turning India from a a kind of service-centred economy into an economic powerhouse by making it a manufacturing hub. And there are other aspects, like the Bank of India being given the mandate to tackle inflation for the first time, which has really brought inflation down significantly. And Modi has been very successful in things like reducing the current account deficit and things like increased revenue from the oil price fall has given him more room to play within the budget for things like infrastructure spending um, and investment in other areas. So there, right. you know, there's things to be excited about there. But can it all can it all really be good news for investors? I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I think the thing is that he's obviously not been in power for for that long, and there is an enormous hype uh, around this. Valuations of of some companies are enormously high at the moment. Looking at things like Hindustan Unilever last week, trading at 40 times consensus earnings for financial year ending March 2016, its five-year average is 29 times, so that's well above. And Nestle India, 48 times consensus earnings for the year ending 2015. So you kind of think, is this all just built on expectation rather than fundamental change? And you do have to look at things like capital expenditure, and that is still fairly sluggish. And new project announcements. There haven't been that many. It's kind of really stalled in the past few years. Mm. So there are some macro things that you think aren't quite matching up to that to that hype. And also a lot of, a lot of growth has already come through. So investors who were went mm. into India a year ago will have done very well. Uh, and, and, and can this continue? Should, should you start investing in India now if you if you feel like you might have missed the boat a bit? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the issue, really. Ha- has all this upside kind of been felt already? I mean, as you say, if you'd been invested in 2014, you'd had a great time. There were some investment trusts that, that shot up by 50%. But, you know, can that happen again? Maybe not. But that said, I mean, it's still a very exciting place to be invested. And of the brick economies and the emerging market economies, it's arguably the most interesting and has enormous growth potential, um, especially, you know, compared to somewhere like Russia, for example. Mm-hmm. But you might not to, not want to go all in at, at once. So ha- what's the, the least risky way to play India? You've been looking at a few... Yeah, I mean, I think the the advice coming through is that, yes, India is exciting, but it's still incredibly risky and it's very volatile. So the ideal thing, if you're not already invested in India, 
I mean, if you are, I think the advice is to to stay there because it's it's interesting. If you're not, um, commentators say to to kind of take an amount, decide on an amount that you want to put in, divide that by twelve, and maybe just drop the same in amount every month, the same in every month. Um, to, to kind of smooth out the risk. And it would probably be only be a, a small portion of your overall yes. portfolio as well because it is an emerging market and there are risks attached to, yeah, to investing there as well. And you might have other bits of your portfolio dedicated to other high-risk things, so that's worth thinking about. I think um, also important to note that um, it seems like active management is the way to go here and investment trusts are, are a good good way of accessing this market as, as the managers tend to be able to spot out the value companies in a way that you might not get with passives. Okay, so there'll be some ideas for, for investments in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. Now, the exchange-traded fund sector has recently seen a landmark launch with a listing of the first UK domiciled fund. And this exchange-traded fund is unique in offering access to an esoteric emerging markets asset class. So we're on the theme of emerging markets again. Leonora, you've been looking at this new launch. Why has there not been a UK domiciled ETF until now? Yes, well, up until April 2014, ETFs, if it domiciled in the UK, would have been subject to 0.5% stamp duty. But since April 2014, that um, has been abolished. Um, prior to this point, prior to the launch of this new fund, most ETFs um, listed in London have been domiciled in Dublin and Luxembourg. Um, so, yeah, we now finally have one that has a, a UK domiciled. The ETFs called um, CBK, CCBI, RFQ, F2, Ooh. Money Market Usage ETF. Wow, uh, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's quite a unique fund in a number of other ways um, in terms of what it accesses. It's the first Renminbi denominated money market exchange traded fund that can be traded and settled in Renminbi, Sterling and Euros outside of Asia. Um, this fund is going to invest in People's Republic of China government bonds, policy bank bonds, cash, central bank bills, commercial paper and um, corporate bonds. So is it really something that lots of investors will want to hold in no, their portfolio? No, it's not. I mean, it's very esoteric. And um, I think investment advisors um, are saying, you know, you could maybe have a very small allocation um, as a diversifier, but certainly not a core investment. Okay, so it's something for, the, for a small part of your portfolio. Yeah, let's say probably a, a large portfolio of, you know, somebody with a um, high risk appetite, long term investment horizon. Definitely not um, just something to go and bug into your eyes or, or sip. <laughs> Can you just uh, explain a bit about the, the domicile aspect of the of an exchange traded fund? That's to do with its its tax status, really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, domicile is different to listing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, all, all companies listed on stock exchange also are, you know, are companies and they're domiciled um, in, in a particular jurisdiction. OK. So, you know, mm. although this is the first London listed one, it doesn't mean it's necessarily better because it's London listed. I mean, I'm, I'm not a tax expert, Moira, so <laughs> yeah, I, I probably couldn't go into the intricacies of that. What might be different here is it may be covered by a financial services compensation scheme, but I'm, I'm not quite certain how 
that is. I think we'll, we'll find out more about that going ahead. And we, there may be more who decide to follow suit as well. So might be. Yes, I mean, yeah. there might be some more. But I think the feeling is, I mean, providers who have funds in Dublin and Luxembourg, you know, they're very tax-efficient jurisdictions and they've got... Um, UK reporting status for, for their funds so you know it, um, people aren't hit by a big tax bill of them. I don't think they're necessarily going to be domiciled yeah. So the ETF market really functions quite well as it is already. In Dublin and yes, Luxembourg, yes. yeah it seems to Leonora, this week um, you've also um, been interviewing a fund manager who's a specialist in smaller companies' income. Now, this is an area that's not typically associated with the rich stream of dividends Um why do you think um, income investors should consider smaller companies and the funds that focus on this area? Right, well, the fund manager um, who um, runs the fund is Marlborough Multicap Income Fund um, and it's run, uh, its co-manager is Siddharth Chand Lal. Um, he's quite passionate about investing in smaller companies for income. He says smaller companies have the ability to grow their earnings faster and so should be able to grow their dividends faster. Um, he also points out that, you know, over recent years, the opportunity set has widened among these. I mean, yes, historically, you wouldn't associate it with income. But he says in his universe, um, which is smaller, mid and um, aim um, in particular, he's got 700 plus stocks that he could invest in. And he says this is growing. Um, there's been some IPOs lately, um, in this area that uh, you know offer nice yields, these include Eurocell, Epwin, and Plus Five Hundred, which he's um, bought into. So um, yeah, he says that you know there's more and more smaller companies that offer this, and it obviously provides um, you know nice contrast to um, the usual few in the FTSE three fifty. Yes, so it's it's a good way of diversifying your income yes, sources, really, to look is. towards smaller companies, mm-hmm. and there are, there's plenty for fund managers to choose from. Yes, and yeah. there, great stuff. Thanks very much. This week's portfolio clinic features a 56 year old investor who wants to achieve a goal of one million pounds in his self invested personal pension. He wants to do that over the next four years. But the trouble is that he's going to need 40% growth over those four years to achieve his goal. Now, Alan Steele, the chairman of Alan Steele Asset Management, was one of the experts who commented on this portfolio. And he now joins me on the phone from Scotland. Hello, Alan. Hi, Moira. Hi. Well, I think this reader's goal it will be familiar to a lot of investors who want to know how to boost their retirement portfolio in the years leading up to retirement. Uh, and you had some, some good tips there on um, ha- how to do it and what to think about. One of your tips, Alan, was how to think about your portfolio in terms of Premier League or something, of, of fund managers. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that? I mean, who, who would you be picking out there? Well, you have to start from why I said that. It's just that um, he said he wanted to be a bit more conservative. And one of the things he seemed to be doing was putting quite a lot of emphasis on individual stocks. And I wasn't sure how he picked them, when he picked them, what made him want to pick them. And it, it can kind of concern me because I come across this. And, and we have long relationships with um, some wonderful fund managers who have long-term um, success rates and so on. And they, they concede themselves it's difficult to pick stocks and know when to get in and when to get out. And so we came across this thought some time ago that really what we were doing as advisors, apart from the technical side, helping the pension issues and the tax issues, 
um, was trying to find people who seemed to outperform at different points of cycles. And it came to the conclusion that if, if I wanted my investments managed, as I do, want them managed well, that setting it up like a football team, and I, I'm sorry if it's an, an analogy that ladies aren't familiar with, <laughs> uh, but setting it up like a football team, and if you use something like Bayern Munich as an example, uh, which is current champions uh, in, in Europe, they have an outstanding attack. But they also have a goalkeeper. You know, they don't actually say, well, we don't have to have a bother with a defence or a goalkeeper because somebody would just keep kicking the ball from the halfway line. And so they have a goalkeeper. So what, goalkeeper. what would the goalkeeper be doing in terms of investment? Well, he'd be yeah. saving, saving you from losing your shirt when the market goes down. <laughs> so, you know, and the kind of goalkeeper we have in mind, for example, is somebody like David Jane, uh, now at Mighton, he was at Darwin, um, or Sebastian Lyon, who's familiar to your investor because Sebastian Lyon currently manages Personal Assets Trust, which he has in his portfolio. So Sebastian is, is a perfect goalkeeper. And in front of that, you would have some defenders, some people who are very good, even when markets go against them. And one of the people I have in mind, for example, is Neil Woodford, mm-hmm. you know, who, who's been through thick and thin and, and tends to do pretty well in poor markets, maybe underperforms when markets are flying, but then that's not his job. His job is to stay in defence. Yeah, and they're, they're very, those, those managers that you've described are very different in their investment methodology. The goalkeepers don't just look at equities, do they? They Correct. look at a range of assets. Yes, what you want is you want the most pessimistic goalkeeper you can get. <laughs> um, the man who thinks I'm going to stick with perhaps some gold and sovereign bonds because I don't like the look of debt and so on. So you don't want an exciting goalkeeper. You want a really solid defensive very pessimistic goalkeeper, and Sebastian fits that perfectly. Uh-huh. Now, you mentioned Neil Woodford. Now, he's an equity income yep. uh, manager, which means he's trying to get a good income via the dividends of companies. And what's so good about, about his method? Well, he just... Um, well, he is contrarian. He's his own, he's his own man. He, he doesn't follow fads. He's not, he wasn't uh, prepared to, to follow the fad of um, the dot-com boom and so on. He stuck to, he stuck to the, his guns. He analyzes businesses and their potential and their cash flow and so on. Um, he has been interested more recently, as per his new investment trust, in small caps, which is really interesting. Um, but he, he just, he's, he's prepared to be contrarian. He's prepared to put his money where his mouth is. He's got a great record over the period. He's a, he's a bit like Warren Buffett, really but in a UK format, as you, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And, and that appeals to me. And we, we've, it's one of our core holdings for a very long time. So he's your top defender. Who would you have on your attack? Who would I have on my attack? Well, that, again, that depends where you are. It, we, we try to work out where we are in the economic cycle. Um, and if the economic cycle is starting to turn down, then you might only leave one attacker, if you follow the analogy. And if the economic cycle is getting a bit benign and you can look at the leading indicators and they're, they're, they're saying that things are going to be pretty, pretty good, then you would have more attackers. And um, right now, one of the attackers that's out of favour uh, is also somebody that your uh, investor seems to like, and that's Gervais Williams, uh-huh. um, who's a small cap man. And small caps have had a fair battering in the last 12 months. They haven't been scoring too many goals, so they're pretty well undervalued. And you know, I would be bringing them in perhaps as a as a substitute. But I like um, people like um, tech a tech fund. Um, 
certainly US. Uh, Angus Tullock, funnily enough, although he's um, not as, quite as old as me, um, uh, he's, he's still got fair legs at First State Asia Pacific. All right, and, that's on uh, the emerging market side rather well, than the it, tech, is it? It's, yes. Asia, it's Asia, really. So you, you might have some tech fund and you might have an Asian fund out there. Mm-hmm. Would you ever consider commodities? Because I think this reader had a few commodities yes. in there. Yes, yes. well, we, we buy research from Ned Davis Research in the US who are, are arguably the finest researchers in the planet and they don't manage money so they have no axe to grind and for the last year they've actually basically turned against commodities. They believe we're in a commodity bear cycle for some years. Um, so that would concern me. I, I certainly would have thought of that before. We've had natural resources before. We were too late getting out but we're out um, and I would argue that commodities only makes sense when inflation starts to come back through the system and there's no sign of that. All right, so so they've, you know, investors in commodities would have lost quite a quite a bit of money over the last yeah. few years, and you think that's going to con- carry on continuing? So Probably. yes, Probably. yeah. Um, are there any other tips on how how to boost your retirement income? I mean, this this chap wanted to go from well to get a forty percent uplift over four yeah. years. Do you think that's realistic? Um, well, if if the cycle if if the cycle does what we hope it will do, which is we think we're in a secular bull, but uh, for equities um, uh, we think we we could see returns similar to the 90s or early 90s, but there will be a correction before that most probably because it's one overdue, and it's a question of will he hold his nerve when that correction comes along, and that's a hard one to call. Um, but if we're right, then that should be possible, although obviously the FCA would remind us all that um, um, units can fall as well as go up, um, mm. and the past performance is no guide to the future. <laughs> um, but you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, he has to hold his nerve yeah. um, throughout the cycle if there is a correction. Yep. Um, I mean, do, do you find that people are able to do that when they're nearing retirement? I mean, sh- surely there's a, yeah. an element of panic. Am I going to have enough to live on? Am I going to be comfortable? Um, you know, you know yeah. what, what do your clients, um, how do they behave in the years coming up to retirement? Well, the evidence is... is very heavily in favour of the fact that people do panic. Um, I actually mentioned in, when I replied to you initially, I mentioned the Dalbar sur- survey in the US, which which shows that consistently average investors well underperform even a passive index. And the, the, the conclusion was it's not about charges, it's about behavioural issues. They, they buy at the wrong time, they, they chase yesterday's good, good idea, and when things go sour, they get out. And so it is difficult. The only way you can stop that, I think, is to have a coach on the side. You know, people like us, people like mm. others up and down the country who hold people's hands and who keep telling them it's education. You know, this will happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. It's, it's probably overdue, to be honest, right now. Um, but we think there's going to be a good, a good time behind it. So if you've got some cash around, then it might be an idea to drip it at the moment or stay in the sidelines. But the hardest thing possible is for somebody to buy value, which is, what, which is why I like the Woodfords as well, because they are conditioned to buy when things go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, in, when you're um, approaching retirement, a lot of people will still be thinking, I know, I've got to get there and then buy my income and that's the end of it. But 
that's not the case anymore now now we've got the pension freedoms coming in i mean how how is that altering um you know the approach to retirement and then the years after well it's interesting that's another interesting question because i've just tried to devour the milliman paper which is uh, prepared by one of the world's biggest actuarial firms um and it's looking at specifically retirement planning post april post 6th of april Mm -hmm. and they're pointing out that responsibility and risk will now be fully passed to individual savers Yes, and that people will actually need more support from advisors, mm-hmm. and they've got four big issues. One is longevity, uh, yes. because people seem to. Well, apparently, according to their research, eighty-two percent of people approaching retirement age believe they'll die sooner than statistically they're likely. All right. So, for our reader who's fifty-six, um, yeah. this chap we were reviewing his portfolio, he's going to retire. At, plans to retire at sixty. How long okay. is he going to? Well, he's got a live on average. Well, he's got a, he's got um he's got more than fifty percent likelihood of seeing seeing eighty seven. Ah, oh, right, yes, <laughs> twenty seven years on, yes, uh, and a twenty percent uh, possibility of getting to ninety five. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not even mentioning his wife, and I don't know what age his wife is, but she's mm-hmm. got she's got even more likelihood of longevity. Right, so women are still living longer than men into retirement. I know it's because yeah. they have an easier life. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's debatable, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but I think a lot of men probably don't don't think about their their wife living longer than them. No, they don't. No. sadly, they don't, and and that's a big, a really big problem. One of the things I wanted to say to to the reader, one of the things I wanted to say, he says that when he gets to sixty, his intention is to take his lump sum out tax free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't think that's perhaps a good idea because what he could do is he could plan, he could take. Twenty-five. He says he wants thirty-five thousand pounds a year income mm-hmm. in real terms to spend. So he could take twenty-five thousand tax-free cash, another ten uh, in terms of uh, income, which would be less than his personal allowance, and he could get thirty-five thousand tax-free and leave the vast bulk of his fund still growing, still creating more tax-free cash, and protected against inheritance tax till seventy-five. And, and to me, that just seems something he should really look at. Yeah, so the, the tax planning in itself is, is just as important as the underlying investments for many people coming into retirement. I think it's more important. Yeah, really, I, yeah. I think it's more important. We actually had, we have pension specialists in, in my office and we brought in an, an, extra, an, an outside um, consultant specialist to talk to us yesterday about the new changes and so on. And he was pointing out that the, there are now eight regimes on a lifetime allowance that you have to look at and our previous eight regimes, um, what you had to take into account before you then give advice. So what we did was we, we spoke to seven pensions technical specialists in insurance companies and asked them a specific question. Four of them got it wrong. Two of them were half right and half wrong. And one of, it was only one that got the answer right. Oh, dear. That's terrible. So yeah. So it's so complicated. People should not, you know, they should... If they're going to pay any money, they should pay good money to get good advice on what what they should be doing technically, and then they should be looking at the pen, the uh, investment issues. All right, so always tax planning first. Absolutely, that's a good note to end on. Thank you very much, Alan, for talking to us today. Thank you. You can read more about investing in India and also our reader portfolio in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. Thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.